This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to the New Books Network. The world surrounds us with living color. From nature's green and browns and reds to the nursery's pastels, color affects us in culturally distinct ways. Today's guest has written a book about one color in a cultural context, blue, and its deep significance in Judaism. The famous Israeli poet known as Zelda, whose work often explores spirituality and mysticism, wrote a poem that is the ideal introduction to today's topic. The poem, called Blue Pomegranate, begins with this couplet. A blue pomegranate is he who hides in his heart his fire, the tear of his secret, the word that burns his mouth, the sigh of his soul. Welcome to the Van Leer Institute series on ideas. I'm Renee Garfinkel, your host, I'm delighted to be speaking with Gadi Sagiv today about his beautiful new book, Jewish Blues, A History of a Color in Judaism. Gadi Sagiv is Associate Professor at the Department of History and Philosophy and Judaic Studies, the Open University of Israel. Among his earlier works is the book Hasidism, A New History, of which he was one of the co-authors. Gadi Sagiv, welcome to the podcast. Uh, thank you. Uh, very happy to be here, and uh, thanks for inviting me. Let's start from the very beginning. What is the origin of the significance of the color blue in Judaism? How did it start? Well, uh, the origin uh, of blue in Judaism seems to be in the Hebrew Bible. The Jews are requested to use not exactly blue, but some term, some uh, material termed tchelet, which is associated with blue, to several commandments, several of them, uh, most of them are to be used in the temple and the tabernacle, but there is a personal commandment which Jews are requested to put a thread on their uh, uh, clothing. Uh, That's the Jewish origin, but uh, as 
I uh, show in the book, this was not a Jewish invention because this color was used or similar color were used in other ancient cultures. But you began your study of the color blue, or uh, uh not with the Bible, but with the 16th century. What was happening in the Jewish world at that time and in the world in general? Yes, I started it as some kind of background in antiquity, but my book focuses in, the focus of my book is since the 16th century. The 16th century is actually what is called a part of the early modern period in history, which is the age of discoveries, which is uh, uh, the beginning, uh, the Renaissance, uh, the European Renaissance, the scientific revolution uh, began at that time. And also the discourse on colors uh, increased during the 16th century, not in the context of Judaism, but more generally in, let's say, European context. And in Judaism, uh, during the 16th century, there was also a very uh, specific, uh, there were specific events, the expulsion from uh, Spain and the emergence of the Jewish center, cultural and social center in Safed, in the Ottoman Empire. Uh, and uh, I have a focus of my book is how the Jewish, uh, let's say, Jewish disc- religious discourse during the 16th century uh, increased with regard to this color blue. It was very uh, emphasized in the Jewish, uh, in the Kabbalah, the Jewish mystical tradition. It was very emphasized in Jewish costumes in the Ottoman Empire. Uh, uh, and, uh, and of course, it corresponded with uh, uh, the, image, the increase of uh, talking about colors in the surrounding societies. But by that time, by the time the renewed interest in it uh, in the 16th century or thereabouts, early modern period, uh, the use of the color in uh, ritual clothing and fringes and the prayer shawl had already disappeared. When and why did the use fade between biblical times and early modern times? Uh, yes, that, that's uh, the connection between the Hebrew Bible and uh, these 16th century developments. When Jews were requested to put uh, a Jewish thread on their clothing, uh, clothes, uh, the uh, rabbinic source of antiquity, the Tosefta and the, uh, and the Talmud requested that it, it would be made, that the, the bluish dye will be made from a secretion of a marine mollusk called a chilazon, which is in modern Hebrew it's termed as snail, but it's not the only possible translation. Uh, and this was actually the uh, technique of making uh, the Tyrian purple in antiquity by the Phoenicians and the Greeks and the Romans. It was a very uh, prestigious dye made in antiquity, but uh, as time uh, during history, the knowledge of how to produce uh, this dye was actually lost uh, from various uh, reasons where restrictions by the uh, rulers uh, following the destruction of the temple, uh, it was not used uh, as much as it was used before. Jews actually uh, lost this the knowledge how to produce this color and they continue to 
live, to continue the Jewish ritual life without this color. It remained in the imagination. It did remain, and I show that in the book, that uh, uh, it even increased in the imagination. Uh, color blue continued to be in uh, mystical sources, but not in real lives. Only in the 19th century, it returned to uh, the uh, to material, uh, to Jewish material life, this uh, specific uh, mollusk-based uh, bluish dye. So tell us about what the color blue or bluish meant in Jewish mysticism. Uh, I will not go uh, into a comprehensive explanation of Jewish mysticism, but uh, we can say that uh, blue was, uh, in a way, an object of contemplation. It was both a, a means to attain mystical uh, experiences, and at the same time, the objective of those uh, 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 mystical experiences, the, the result, the, the experience itself. Uh, but blue was also had not a mystical uh, Role, it also had a magical role. We know that blue in Mediterranean cultures is used against uh, uh, the evil eye, is believed to be uh, powerful against the evil eye, and this notion also entered mysticism. It became a color that is both an object of contemplation and at the same time it is an object that can protect the believer. It's very useful to uh, uh, possess objects with a blue uh, color because they protect uh, uh, the believer. Uh, in the within the system of uh, elements of powers of let's say a gradation of Jewish mysticism of Kabbalah of the Sefirot, blue is mostly associated with the lowest Sefirah, uh, Sefirah Malchut or Shechina, which is the connection between the earthly realm and the divine realm. It is the connection for uh, people to attain uh, higher experiences and it both protects the uh, uh, believers uh, here on earth. So uh, so there is a relationship between tchelet, uh, the meaning of blue or bluish in, uh, in Judaism and the the chamsa, the uh, the ubiquitous Middle Eastern hand, which is a symbol of uh, an amulet against an evil eye, and is often, if not always, blue. Are you uh, saying yeah. that there's a relationship between the two? Yes, I said. I think uh, there is. I, I argue that there is a, a relation. Uh, I show that there is a myth uh, in the Zohar, in the Book of Sven, the one, the major book of. Uh, uh, Jewish mysticism, it's a medieval book, but it was uh, mostly developed, this myth developed in uh, the 16th century, that uh, some kind of personification of uh, uh, this uh, Kabbalistic element, which is the Sefirat uh, uh, Malchut, actually uh, ha- is clothed with uh, some kind of bluish garments that uh, protects uh, both the divine realm as well as the believers from the uh, from the 
evil eye of the demonic uh, forces. That is, I think that uh, the Jewish Kabbalah actually important these important these uh, uh, popular uh, beliefs about like the Hamsa about the the, uh, the blue and the evil eye and made it some kind of uh, a, let's say a dominant or a b- mystical belief in Judaism in the Kabbalah. Uh, uh- and the uh, the biblical community, you mentioned that blue is uh, something to meditate on. It's actually a biblical commandment to meditate on the blue in the fringes of the prayer shawl. And um, and in your book, you talk about that is in relationship to a later idea, a recommendation to meditate on blue in a candle flame. So the connection between all those blues, um, well, talk a little bit about the connection between that, between the meditation on it, the protection value, um, and the religious meaning of it outside of uh, mysticism, perhaps for messianism. Uh, okay. Uh, no, the... the uh... In the book, I presented several examples of meditating on blue uh, and their positive results it has on the believer. For example, uh, contemplating on the uh, candle flame, uh, a person can see the uh, specifically in the bluish uh, flame, the bluish uh, color in the flame, can connect the believer to those uh, upper realms, uh, putting on uh, the uh, contemplating on the bluish thread on the tzitzit on this uh, uh, fringe, can uh, actually protect uh, the 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 person who who does so, and even uh, and when a person contemplates on these uh, bluish. Uh, objects, let's say, or phenomena on Earth can bring him uh, to uh, elevate himself to a mystical experience that actually can uh, bring him to kind of personal redemption and even contribute to a more general messianic uh, redemption. And uh, the messianic aspect is also with the, comes with the entire a renewal of the usage of this uh, uh, blue color, but I guess we will get back to it uh, later. Uh, right. In the, person, in the personal in the personal domain, uh, every uh, personal experience of elevation to the upper realms is a kind of uh, a mis- a mis- let's say an, a moment of redemption, personal messianism. Let's say. When I read uh, ideas of mysticism, I can't help but uh, understand them in part simply psychologically. It's uh, it's a consequence of my training. Um, and I was very interested to learn in the book that um, that blue is also the color of contradiction or the inclusion of opposites. I think the phrase you use is the way the sea gathers water. 
uh, that that it's somehow blue is so comprehensive and inclusive that it can can reconcile or include things that are apparently contradictory. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Because it actually reminded me a little of some Zen Buddhist ideas. Uh, so. Yes, yes, that's, that's interesting uh, because blue uh, is actually uh, when it when I say when I wrote that blue is associated with the lowest uh, uh, divine emanation. power, the Shekhinah, the emanation, the, the, the emanation, shekhinah, yes, the shechina, the malchut, uh, uh, as it's called. Uh, the Shekhinah itself has kind of dual role. It's on the one hand, it protects the Jews from uh, in escorts them in their uh, travels in the world in their in their uh, exile. But on the other hand, when Jews uh, don't obey God, it is an uh, a way to punish them. So uh, this same uh, this dual action of uh, protection and punishment exists also in the blue. And it's very visual that Zohar says that uh, uh, this thread is on the one hand is a, a protecting, covering uh, garment, but at the same time it's looked like uh, something that in which you can uh, hit uh, uh, the Jews uh, to snap. Uh, it's kind of a, a tool that can punish a, a stick or even a summit of snapshot. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda, whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at sax.com. Yeah, the, the, the idea that the same uh, element, the same factor, the same aspect of the divine image uh, and force is both protective and can be harmful. I, I think uh, that's... That's frequently the case with any sort of power, especially ones that are close to us, like fire, for example. Yes. Uh, yes. Uh, yes, this blue. The, uh, uh, blue is also it's a color of both fire and water. Uh, and fire is also good and can be good and bad, and the same as water. can. Uh, it, it's the, we, we cannot live without water, but water can drown us as well. It's uh, both of them as are uh, have dual roles of good and bad for people. And, and today we think about well, we that is people in the West think of blue as a calming color. It's considered to be tranquil psychologically, uh, it, the visual blue. But of course, blue in music is sad if you play the blues. So um, what? What's your understanding of the different emotional aspects of colors in different contexts? And How does that work? I, I, I think that color does not have an objective uh, 
uh, existence. It depends, and that is what I try to emphasize in my book, it depends on the specific social and cultural context in which uh, it is used. Blue can be, of course, calming, and blue can be, for example, mysticism, an object of mystical contemplation, which can be very calming, but it can all, it also associated with color blue is very close to black. I mean, this is a color of uh, even mourning and, uh, and death. Uh, so uh, for me, <laughs> since I started to be interested by colors, I, I actually departed from these uh, very uh, definite opinions about specific colors. I think that every colors can arise uh, positive and negative emotions in different, uh, in different times. I love blue very much, of course, but I know it can be, uh, I now know that it can be a color that uh, is very much associated with, uh, with darkness and death at the same time. Um, so I don't have a clear uh, answer about that. And, and blue, as a matter of fact, is considered to be very popular and calming in Western culture, but I don't think it was so in, uh, in other cultures. In, uh, as I showed in the book, uh, in let's say Mediterranean cultures, it was considered to be, although protective, but also very threatening. People with blue eyes, which are not uh, very common in the Mediterranean cultures were uh, viewed as very dangerous. Uh, or threatening. So it was also a threatening color, not also only a calming one. So uh, essentially, if I understand what you're saying, is cultures project meaning onto different colors in uh, in their language and in their in their cultural styles. Uh, you mentioned in the book that uh, in the Ottoman Empire, uh, only Muslims could wear green. For example, when we yes, know more yes. recently uh, how color in clothing was uh, used to ostracize or mark uh, different people, foreigners or other un- undesirables. Uh, so, how was color symbolism understood in, let's say, the 16th, 17th, and 18th centuries, which you focus on the early modern period? Uh, yes, in the Ottoman Empire, uh, uh, the favorite color for, for Muslims, for the ruling uh, 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 groups, were the bright colors. Uh, these were, of course, green was considered the color of Islam until today, and it was the favorite color uh, by, uh, by the Ottomans. So Jews and also other non-Jews were forbidden to uh, wear green uh, colors, uh, clothing with the uh, color green. Non-Muslims. Non-Muslims, yes. Non-Muslims right. were uh, forbidden to, to wear, I'm sorry. Uh, but there were also uh, internal, uh, uh, let's say, restrictions. Uh, the color red was uh, considered by Jews to be of negative meaning. Uh, it was associated with 
Asav, uh, it was associated with the blood. Asav uh, with, was associated with the Christians, with other non-Jews. It was associated with the blood uh, and uh, impurity. And Jews actually uh, distanced themselves from, uh, from red. So during the 16th and 17th century, Jews, if they obeyed to external and internal restrictions, actually had some kind of very limited, uh, let's say, palette of colors to choose from. Uh, they were actually uh, directed to or uh, led, led to use uh, these dark colors of in the range of blue, black, violet, let's say, but not green and uh, not uh, red. And also, uh, for example, in other, the color yellow was considered in uh, other uh, in European context to be a color of prostitution, for example, that was uh, uh, also people wanted to distance themselves. So uh, yeah, I'm not saying that Jews wore only blue and, uh, and black colors, but this was some kind of safe preference uh, to wear for Jews uh, during that, uh, those periods. And you do examine in the book, although we won't go into it now, that there were uh, economic influences on uh, color symbolism as uh, in the early modern period, the the, uh, international trade, global trade, included various dyes, which were invented or became uh, widely available. So that that also influenced the change. Um, But uh, listeners will have to read the book to find out more about that. Um, (laughs) Finally, Gadi, um, uh, back in 2013, there was a a conference that uh, was convened in honor of the grandfather of Israel's current president, Herzog, um, who did research in rediscovering the authentic dye. And that was very controversial in some quarters. So tell us about that controversy, why going back to or, or rediscovering the original authentic dye for this color, tchelet, um, could be so controversial, and how is it viewed today? Well, uh, as we said, uh, Jews used to wear tchelet uh, based on uh, the so-called snail uh, during uh, in antiquity, but the, the knowledge of how to produce this dye was lost. And Jews uh, avoided using or could not use uh, this dye for centuries. And by the end of the 19th century and during the 20th century, uh, there was a, a new, let's say, movement of uh, renewing this dye. And this caused a con- controversy in uh, among uh, Orthodox Judaism because this seemingly uh, renewal of an authentic commandment was actually breaking from the orthodox tendency to uh, to avoid such kind of uh, innovations. And this is the controversy. And some Jews wanted to uh, be more authentic and return and restore the biblical past, but others uh, objected to this uh, to this uh, 
uh, notion of uh, uh, authentic Judaism and wanted to keep Judaism as it was during the 18th and 19th century. That's actually uh, the going back to renew, renewing the uh, ancient tradition was actually breaking from with uh, the tradition of not uh, having any uh, innovations in the Jewish religion, in the Jewish halachic uh, system. So that was the basic uh, controversy. And there was also a smaller controversy about what should be the exact way to prepare this uh, this die, but this conference actually was a celebration of the group of those who wanted to renew uh, the uses of this biblical blue. Uh, and today there are various groups. I think the majority still avoids using this blue, but there's a significant uh, minority who uses uh, particularly in Israel, but also abroad. It's it's quite an interesting um, <clears throat> philosophical religious uh, dilemma uh, that that you describe because it's the in, in effect it seems like the perfect is the enemy of the good that is after after many many centuries we are able to rediscover the original the real thing but then. Even if it's authentic, it uh, breaks with the tradition of all these centuries of uh, of Jewish practice. So, it's uh, I guess it's, it was a, a question of authority. What is the authority? Is it tradition or is it fact? Um, would you say that that was the question? Yes, that was one of the questions. Whether uh, the whole uh, project of renewing the, the biblical die introduced uh, scientific arguments, and now there comes the question: who's uh, who says uh, how to prepare this uh, biblical die? Uh, are these the scientists or the rabbis? So the introduction of uh, scientists, scientists and argument is actually uh, a threat to certain uh, tra- so a tradition of relying on rabbis. Uh, as, uh, uh, and also there was a tradition of not using the dye. This is very paradoxical. Uh, the, uh, the, what tradition should we prefer? The, tra- the biblical tradition of using blue or the modern tradition of uh, not using it. Uh, here we have competing tradition. Here we have questions of science and religion, uh, which we have uh, questions of authority, rabbis or scientists or uh, Orthodox Jews who are also scientists. Who is uh, in charge here? Uh, I think it raises <laughs> many questions. Who's in charge here? That's a very good question <laughs> and it's for us to stop on. The book is Jewish Blues, A History of a Color in Judaism. Thanks so much for sharing your very beautiful book with us today, Gadi. Thank you very much. Enjoyed being here. And thanks to our researcher, Bela Pasikov.